My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. We have two selections this morning, uh, content from St. Peter himself. The first piece is his sermon from the book of Acts, and the second piece we get is his epistle written to the churches scattered throughout Asia. We have to understand that Asia of the time is not Asia as we know it today, but the region of Turkey. And we see him at the beginning of his ministry, and now we also see him many years later, writing towards the end of his ministry. And both these selections deal with two things that are closely related, holiness and repentance, which is also the title of my sermon this morning, Repentance and Holiness. In Peter's sermon, he says here in verse 36 of Acts chapter 2, Let the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have crucified. There's a boldness here that Peter displays he did not have before. This is not the same man. And we'll talk more about that at Pentecost. Because remember, the disciples just a few moments earlier, a few days earlier, were hiding in the upper room, the scriptures remind us. Scared, right? Because of what happened to Jesus. Interestingly, Peter just comes right out with it. Hey, guess what? You all crucified him. But God has made him both Lord and Christ. Right? So you have executed him as a criminal of the worst kind. That's what the Romans reserved crucifixion for. They reserved it for slaves who rebelled. They reserved it for treason. It was the worst form of punishment imaginable. One of the most cruelest forms of torture ever devised by depraved, sinful humanity. But it wasn't just about cruelty, and it wasn't just about pain, although those were part of it. The Romans were experts of both. But also, the piling on as much shame as possible. Right? Aside from the pictures that we see of Christ crucified, he's wearing, you know, he's wearing clothes or a loincloth, they were completely naked, completely stripped down, beaten beyond recognition. To turn them into objects of scorn, to turn them into objects of shame. So Peter's saying, this person that you have turned into scorn and shame, who you have uh, tortured and slain, guess what? Well, he's risen. And this object of scorn and shame is both Lord and Christ. Now, we are separated by centuries, by millennia of time, right? Lots of time between this sermon and our own day and age, right? So when Peter says, this person of shame and scorn and torture is both Lord and Christ, we, it doesn't quite hit us in the stomach the same way it would have hit the stomach of the, the first hearers of this, right? Because this word Lord, this was a title taken on by the Caesars of the time, Right? Caesar Augustus, they would say, you know, Caesar is Lord. The New Testament authors say, no, no, Jesus is Lord. Right? We even have this interaction between Jesus and Pilate. Right? Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says to him, it is as you say. 
And the New Testament authors take this title of Lord and they apply it to Jesus, right? But more importantly, beyond the fact that Jesus is Lord and Caesar and the rulers of the world are not, to call somebody Lord, well, this was the word used in the Old Testament, right? So when they are translating the scriptures uh, into Greek from Hebrew, whenever they saw the name of God, Yahweh, they would use the Greek word kurios, which is the word Lord. So for Peter to call Jesus Lord, he's not just saying that Jesus is, is higher than Caesar. He's saying that, this, that, that Jesus is actually God himself. So this object of scorn, this object of torture, this object of shame was actually God among us. And then he calls him the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. And the listeners were cut to the heart, right? In the, in the, the, the selection we heard read from the gospel according to St. Luke, he's walking on the way with Saints Luke and Cleopas, right? And they said, well, we thought he was going to be the one who was going to redeem Israel. Here's the thing, he has. He has redeemed Israel, not through force of arms, but through his death on the cross. And the listeners, it says, were cut to the heart, right? This is the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, one of the things that the Spirit is going to do is he's going to convict the world of sin. This is why Satan works very hard to get people to not see sin as sin, but to take sin and to cast it as a virtue, This breaks through to them, and they don't know what to do. They don't know what to do. Right? It's very, some people might say, well, sin is just structures of political oppression. That's what sin really is. These other biblical notions of sin, I mean, these notions are antiquated, and we understand it was another time where they were patriarchal and oppressive. But sin is really like these power structures. So the work of the church is actually, we have to dismantle these power structures because that's what sin here is actually pointing us towards. Sin can actually be what we do, right? Because our desires are good and God-given. So those aren't really sinful. It's this other thing over here. And political structures can be sinful and they can be abusive. But sin is something else entirely. This is how sin can play itself out. They don't know what to do. And Peter says in Acts 2.38, he says, okay, you don't know what to do, this is what you do. Repent. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized. The Spirit brings conviction. The response to the conviction of the Spirit is repentance and baptism. To repent is not just to be sorry for sin, right? But to begin to live in a way other than before. It is empowered through our baptism. Because at our baptisms, we are born again and given the gift of the Holy Spirit. If anybody asks you, brothers and sisters, if you're walking down the street one day and people who are really, really good at sharing their faith might come up to you and they'll say, Hey, do you know Jesus? Are you born again? That question should not confuse you. You should say, What? What? 
Yes, I am born again because Christ has redeemed me with his own blood. And I have been baptized and received the gift of the Spirit. You are born again. It's not a trick question. Baptism is our entrance into the kingdom of God, our washing from sin, our justification. This is not just for them, though. He says that this promise is for you, for your children, right? and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Repentance and baptism lead to life together as the church. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of the bread, and it says the prayers. Right? So the teaching of the apostles, the breaking of bread, the prayers. Right? You have the, the doctrine of the apostles. And we'll confess the Apostles' Creed today, and next week we'll have a service of the Eucharist. We'll confess the Nicene Creed then. Right? These are encapsulating. This is what the Apostles taught about who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and our response to that. To deny the Apostles' teaching, to say that Jesus is a good man, but not God in human flesh. To say that the Holy Spirit is not God, he's just like a feeling in the heart. These are departures from the apostolic teaching and places outside the faith. Because let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, and I don't know why I'm on this right now. This just popped into my head. This is for free. I don't know if you know this, but doctrine actually matters. We live in a time where people will say, well, it doesn't really matter what you believe. Just believe in something. Like doctrine and dogma, those things are dry. Those things are useless. What does it matter if we don't confess that Christ was born of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary? What if he was a product of a Roman soldier violating a Palestinian girl back in the early days? What does that matter? Right? None of that. That doesn't really matter. Doctrine matters, brothers and sisters. Because if Jesus is a product of something like that, then he's not the God-man. And if he's not the God-man, then his death on the cross holds no meaning for us. It holds no power for us other than just considering him a criminal who was executed by a corrupt state. And there's people who see Jesus that way. And I'm not saying that's completely incorrect. But that's not the point of the cross. Doctrine matters. What we believe matters because what we believe then influences how we live. If we believe that Jesus is the God-man, if we believe that Jesus was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, if we believe in his death and resurrection and his promise to come again, then brothers and sisters, this means that our lives are shaped in a wholly different way than the lives of those around us. And that plays itself out for us in what he talks about in his epistle. Holiness. He says in his epistle, set your mind on the grace that will be brought. Right? He doesn't say grace you've already received. He's not saying that you haven't received any grace at all, but he's saying there's a grace that's to come. There's a well of grace laid up for us, laid up for you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we've been covering this on Wednesday. So if you're not coming to Wednesday night Bible study, you're missing out, right? But revelation means unveiling, the revealing. In other words, his second coming, his parousia, his return in glory. There's grace laid up for us at that time. And 
With that in mind, he says, we are to be prepared and have sober minds. And, and, and Peter isn't just making this up, right? Jesus says as much. He tells parable after parable about be prepared for you do not know the hour of the Son of Man when he will come. He tells the parable of the wise and foolish virgins, right? Some had oil, some brought extra, and they burned through all the oil. The ones had extra were able to refill their, their, their torches, and they were able to join the wedding feast. The ones who forgot it had to go outside and look and buy more oil and came back. And when they came back, what, was, what happened? The doors were closed. They knocked on the door, let us in. Did they get let into the wedding feast? No. no. They weren't prepared. They were not prepared. That sounds awfully exclusionary, Pastor Mike. I know. And that should make us uncomfortable. Right? It should make us uncomfortable. Because as inclusive as the gospel is, it's also, in a way, a little bit exclusive too. I preached a sermon on that like three years ago. Go on our, our podcast website and you can look that up. <laughs> we are to be prepared and have sober minds because he says the passions of your former ignorance are still there. The passions of your former ignorance haven't gone away because Christ has not yet been revealed. We won't be completely free of our former ignorance. We won't be completely free of our passions until the unveiling of Jesus in his glory. Right? So we're prepared by, by knowing how the passions attack us, about how the ways of our former ignorance attack us, the root that they still have in us. We won't be completely free, right? So we prepare for them by being ready for them when they sneak up on us. I can be, I don't know if you know this about me, uh, but I can be very sarcastic. <laughs> Thank you. I can be very sarcastic. Um, I'm not nearly as bad as I was many years ago, right? God has helped me in this. Now my sarcasm is a little bit more benign and kind of teasing. Back then it was super cutting and I hurt a lot of relationships and I hurt people by the things that I said, right? <laughs> it's easy for me to respond by saying something in, in, in anger or whatever and then having sarcasm and then kind of walking, trying to walk it back, back later, right? But I've start to, I start to, to be able to identify those things that trigger that response, right? So when I have conversations with people, I had to train myself, into, okay, if that person says something like this, that doesn't necessarily mean they're attacking you, Okay? So don't take it as an attack. And when you stop seeing lots of things as an attack, it actually frees you. It, it, it helps a lot, right? That's just a silly example, right, about being prepared about how passions of your former ignorance, how, the, how they sneak up on you, how you can prepare for those things. And then he says, Peter says, You shall be holy, for I am holy. He's quoting from Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45. You shall be holy. For I am holy. And he says the reason for this is because we will all be judged. He says right here in the epistle. You will be judged according to your deeds. Uh oh. This is one we struggle with right. Because the theological waters that we've swim in right. Because of our reformed and Lutheran heritage. Emphasize God's sovereignty and God's actions. Often minimizing human response and human responsibility. But it's very clear in the scriptures that each one of us will give an account to Christ about everything that we have done. That scares me. 
Like, I'm not, I, have, I wasn't that terrible of a person. But I've done some bad things. We've all done some bad things. And we will all give an account to God of the things that we've done. But thank God that Christ is with us. <laughs> that Christ is with us. That the one who accuses us before God no longer has any power before him. Christ has ransomed us with his blood. To ransom means to buy back. To buy back. Often, mean, often used in the context of purchasing somebody from enslavement. Christ has ransomed us. He has shed his blood which has caused us to be purchased back from sin and death. And Christ's resurrection then is to aid their hope and their faith, their faithfulness in God, and our hope and our faith and our faithfulness and hope in God. And then he concludes to love one another out of purified hearts, repentance and holiness. And brothers and sisters, we live in a culture where forgiveness is often impossible. We live in a culture where repentance is not even something we'd consider when caught in wrongdoing. How many people have been caught doing really bad things and when they get confronted about it, they either deny, 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 or they go, well, I'll just, I'm, just, I'm just listening, I'm having conversations, and I'm just going to try to do better. I'm going to try to do better. That wasn't right. I'm going to try to do better. Well, how about restoration? <laughs> how about repentance? How about, I have sinned against heaven and against you, O Lord, and I am not worthy to be called your son. It's like the person who insults you, right? And when you call them out on it, they say, well, I'm sorry you took it that way. And you're like, don't gaslight me. <laughs> You said something really hurtful and bad. Repent. Say you're sorry. And don't just repent and say you're sorry, but then start to live in a way opposite to what you were before. Repentance is for our good. Repentance is for our good. Confession is a wonderful aid to repentance. Right? So we corporately together confess our sins before the Lord and we hear his word of absolution and assurance and his forgiveness. Right? Last week we read the text where Jesus gave the disciples the gift of forgiving sins. Right? This is a tough one for us, right? Because of, of where we are theologically, right? The Reformed, you know, Lutheran world we find ourselves in, like that, that mixture of our union churches. Jesus gave the apostles the gift of forgiving sins. And the book of James actually says, confess your sins one to another. I can't find anywhere in the Bible where it says private confessing of our sins to God by ourselves is even a thing. Right? Maybe we've lost something, right? Maybe through history, maybe we've jettisoned something that we maybe should have kept as an aid of our ongoing repentance and holiness. Repentance is not just an I'm sorry, but a turning away of the heart, away from sin and to God. And guess what? We might have to do this over and over and over, right? And then you will say, well, why? Because holiness is our aim. Holiness is our aim. And oftentimes we have to do things over and over and over, and we may have to do things over and over and over again up until the moment of our death. But we shouldn't become weary in doing good. Holiness is our aim. Now listen, holiness isn't just a general sense of awe. Holiness is not a, a feeling of sacredness. Wow, I feel really holy right now. Or I step into a place, wow, I feel really holy. 
Holiness is an action and it's a state of being. Because Scripture says without holiness, we cannot even see the Lord. So what we do, how we live, affects our holiness. Because what we do, are we becoming more like Christ? Or are we going back into the futile ways, the ignorant ways that we were in, that Christ died to save us from? Holiness is not just a state of being, it's also an action. It's a gift of God's grace to us at our conversion. We are made holy and righteous before God, but it's also our action, our ongoing action. And the sacramental life empowers this, empowers us through the indwelling spirit given to us, as Peter said in the book of Acts. You know, in the story that we read, heard from the Gospel of Luke, we probably should have had communion today, right? Because where is Jesus revealed in the story? He walks with them, he talks with them, he explains the scriptures to them. Where are their eyes open and they realize it's Jesus? When the bread is broken. <laughs> when the bread is broken and he gives it to them to eat. And then they're like, oh man, Jesus has been with us the whole time. In the breaking of the bread. The sacramental life is God's gift to us. It is God's gift to us because God's grace is given to us through the sacraments. The spirit that we've been given through the sacramental life in Christ, it empowers us, right? So we can live lives of holiness. So we continue to turn our hearts towards God away from the, our paths of former ignorance, right? Because Christ is not yet fully revealed. So we still will struggle with these things as we walk the Christian life. And that's the Christian life, brothers and sisters, is this ongoing circle, cycle of, of repentance and walking in holiness. Repentance and walking in holiness. And we're not doing this alone and we're not doing this through our own strength, brothers and sisters, because as we do this, we see Christ unveiled to us in the breaking of the bread when we come together here to worship. He's with us. He walks with us. He's holding us. Sometimes he's picking us up, but he's there with us on the journey. On the journey. And we will get those moments where we see him and when we see him, Scripture says, we know that we will be like him one day because we will see him as he is. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen.